If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. This time of the year is one of my favorite times of the year. I, I love the fact that uh, we get to focus our attention on the incarnation, the coming of Christ. Because without the incarnation, <clears throat> we have no hope. We're hopeless. And this time of the year, we focus our attention on that concept of the incarnation. But I want to submit to you this morning, the incarnation should be celebrated always in the life of the believer. It shouldn't just be seasonal. It should be always that we celebrate what our God has done in saving us and redeeming us through his son, Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I thought for a minute I was going to be silenced like Zechariah. Uh, so pray for me. My silences are killing me this morning. But Luke chapter 1, 67 through um, 79. I'm going to read that for us. It says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people he, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we just pray. Lord, would you open our eyes to your word. We, we pray what the psalmist said in Psalm 119. Lord, open our eyes that we may Behold the wonderful things in your word. Help us to see it, Lord. God, we confess to you of our own. We can't do it. We need your guidance. We need your help. And so, Lord, we pray, God, fill us with your spirit and guide us and enlighten us today to your word. We pray for the glory of Christ. Amen. This past Sunday... Pastor Todd began this Advent sermon series that we're doing by looking at the song of Mary as she sang in response to the angel's announcement to her. This morning we turn our attention to a priest from Aaron's line from the house of Levi prophesying about Jesus Christ. The, the passage that we just read, it's a, a beautiful passage and it's, a, it's called the Song of Zechariah. It's one of the most well-known of the songs in the New Testament. Traditionally, it's been called the, 
Benedictus because it is a song of benediction and praise for how God had worked about the birth of Jesus Christ. However, we can't really appreciate this extraordinary nature of this song until we give reflection to everything that led up to it. It's really interesting. If you look back in verse 5, and I'm going to just kind of go back to the early parts of chapter 1. If you look back at verse 5, here we learn about this man, Zechariah. We're, we're told in verse 5 that he was a priest. We're told on this particular occasion, it was his opportunity to go into the temple and offer incense unto God. And while he was in the temple offering this incense, an angel met him there, and we're told the angel's name. We're told that the angel was Gabriel. And when Gabriel comes to you, to meet you, it's very significant. It's very significant because there are only a few occasions in all of Scripture that were given that Gabriel actually shows up. We're told in Daniel, Daniel 8, 16, and Daniel 9, 21, that Gabriel shows up to Daniel and talks to him about the, the exile and God's people returning from exile and a coming, a future Messiah, one to come. We, we saw Gabriel show up with Mary and tell her about the baby that she would carry, the, the Messiah. And here we see this same angel, Gabriel, showing up to Zechariah to deliver a message. And it's interesting, in all the scenarios that we see Gabriel show up in Scripture, he's always bearing good news. He's bearing good news. As one commentator said, he is the heavenly evangelist, delivering a, a good message to the people. And it was always pertaining to the Messiah. The Messiah's coming. And so the angel, when he encounters Zechariah, it's interesting what he has to say to him. The angel first says to Zechariah that he is going to be a father. I mean, that's very important news to Zechariah because if you look back in verses 5 through 7, we find that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were godly people. They were people who loved God, but they were people who were unable to have children. And now here in advanced age, the angel comes to Zechariah and says, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. <laughs> so you can imagine the scenario here. All my life I've been childless. What are you talking about? Now in my old age, my advanced age, and Elizabeth is barren, you're telling me we're going to have a child? In verse 13, we're told, Seemingly, they had been praying for a child. In verse 13, the angel says, For your prayer has been heard. They've been praying for a child. And so when the angel tells Zechariah, You're going to be a father, it was overwhelming to him. But that's not all. Not only is Zechariah going to be a father, but he's going to be a father to the one that Malachi prophesied about that would come preparing the way for the Savior. Think about that. All these years he's been unable to have, a, have children, and now in his advanced years he's told he's going to have a son, and not only is he going to have a son, but his son is going to be the one who is going to prepare the way 
for the Savior. That would be overwhelming news to anyone. But I want you to see in verse 18, although Zechariah was a godly man who feared God and walked in his ways, when the angel told him this, he doubted. He doubted. He's, and then Zechariah in verse 18 said to the angel, How shall I know this? How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And look at Gabriel's response in verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So Gabriel clarifies to Zechariah who this message is coming from. It's not coming from the angels. It's not coming from, uh, from Gabriel. It is coming from God. It is God's word. It's God's message to Zechariah. And guess what Zechariah does with this? He doubts it. He doubts the word that's spoken to him. And so because Zechariah doubted the message, he doubted God's word to him, he was muted. He was unable to speak for nine months. For nine months. He, he asked the angel for a sign. He said, how shall I know this? And he was given silence. He was muted. That's a long time to be silent. Some of you may wish others would be silent for that long of time. But nine months is a long time for silence. That's a long time to consider what the angel told him. Notice what the angel says to him in verse 20. He says, And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And yet in the life of Zechariah, we see God's loving, tender discipline. We, we see God's loving, tender discipline discipline. You see, it was, it was the love of God for Zechariah that silenced him, that silenced his mouth to ensure a time of reflection upon what God had said, the message that the angel had delivered. It gave him time to consider the promises of God and that he keeps his word. Not only do we see God's loving and tender discipline in the life of Zechariah, but we also learn this, and I think it's an important note, that God doesn't turn away from his people when they doubt him. God doesn't turn away from his people when they doubt him. Yes, he may discipline us, and we see that here, but he does not cast us away. Why? Because he is faithful when we are faithless. Amen? I mean, all the followers of Jesus, all the followers of God, have belief and unbelief, both faith and doubt present within us. We wrestle with that, don't we? I mean, you contrast this story with that of Mary, and what do we have? We have the angel going to Mary, this same angel going to Mary, and what does Mary do? She believes it. But yet Gabriel goes to Zechariah, Zechariah being a priest who knew these promises, was worshiping on behalf of the people, and yet he doubted it. 
You put that contrast and we see this belief and unbelief, faith and doubt present within all of us who are God's people. I mean, we look at many biblical examples of that. We see it in the life of Peter, don't we? Who walked on water only to start sinking when unbelief set in. We see it in the life of Thomas who, who boldly declared, I will never believe without physical proof of Jesus' resurrection. We see it all throughout the Psalms. We think about Psalm 73 where the saints wrestle out loud with their unbelief. We see it all too frequently in ourselves, which is why I think we can identify so greatly with this song of Zechariah. Not only do we see God's loving and tender discipline in the life of Zechariah, but we also see that even in our doubt, hear me this morning, even in our doubt, it does not negate God fulfilling his promises. It, it doesn't negate it. We understand from the text, don't we? What did Gabriel say to him? Even though you did not believe, this will be fulfilled in its time. Right? And so Zechariah's unbelief, his doubt of God's word, did not stop or hinder or halt this pregnancy from happening. God's purposes stand. Whether we believe them or not, God brings to fruition every promise he has declared. Every promise. He will fulfill all that he has said. When you fast forward now to verses 57 through 64, come to the end of that nine months, and now how is Zechariah responding? How's he responding? He's still muted. He's still silenced under the discipline of God. It says, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They would call him Zechariah, which would be normal after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he, might, he wanted him to, call, to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they wondered and immediately his mouth was open, his tongue loose, and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who had heard them laid up their, in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And so this kind of brings us to our text this morning in Luke chapter 1, this whole blessing, this praise that Zechariah bursts forth with as he sings about the promises of God. Calvin, John Calvin said this in response to this text. He says, not only did Zechariah recover the power of speech, which he had not enjoyed for nine months, but his tongue became the organ of the Holy Spirit. His tongue became the organ of the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to give you three points, three truths we find this morning. There could probably be more, but I'm going to narrow it down into three truths we find this morning in this text. And the first one is simply this. Zechariah is filled with thanksgiving and praise in verse 67 through 69. Here's what it says. And his father, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And so the question would be, why was Zechariah overflowing with thanksgiving and praise? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He was filled with the Spirit. And here's what I want to say to you this morning, church. When someone is filled with the Spirit, their life will be filled with thanksgiving and praise. When they're filled with the Spirit, your life will be filled with thanksgiving and praise, which affirms what John, or Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, 18 through 20. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see what Paul says? What, what will be the sign of being filled with the Spirit? will be songs, melodies made in our heart, praise made into our heart unto God and giving thanks. And we see that here in the life of Zechariah. He's overwhelmed by God's plan. He's overwhelmed by God's plan of redemption. He's overwhelmed by the role that his son will play in this. And so he bursts forth in praise and thanksgiving to God. That should be our response as well. When we consider God's salvation, when we think upon his plan of redemption, should we not also burst forth and praise and adoration to our God and give thanks to him. Amen. It's being filled with the Spirit. And so he's overwhelmed with this sovereign work of God in bringing about salvation. In bringing about salvation. Listen, God was doing something for them that they couldn't do for themselves. They couldn't redeem themselves. They couldn't rescue themselves God must do for all of us what we can't do for ourselves. What's interesting here is he says he visits, he redeems, he is the horn of salvation. It's a very God-centered song. It's interesting to see, and I want you to see this this morning, that Zechariah speaks as if all these things had already happened. As if all these things had already happened. All the verbs are in the past tense. Has visited, has redeemed, has raised up. He was that sure in God's promises. He was that sure in God's word that he spoke as if it had already happened. Wow, it's interesting what's happened in nine months. <laughs> he goes from doubting the promises of God Nine months later, you fast forward, and he's speaking in the past tense as if they had already taken place. They're that sure. They're that solid. And he goes from saying, how shall I know this, to one of the most beautiful, God-honoring, doxological praises of who God is and what God was doing. The one who doubted God, that God would fulfill his word, now affirms that God always keeps his promises. His word never fails. Never fails. 
you realize this morning the same is true for us. We can be sure that God's promises will come to fruition. Why? Because God is unchanging. And since he is unchanging, his word does not change. What he says is sure. We can be confident in God's word. You think about in our own daily lives as we encounter change all around us, in our individual lives. The world around us continues to change. We need a place to find hope. We find great hope in the promises of God, like Zechariah. Promises like this, Philippians 1, verse 6. And I'm sure, listen to Paul, the confidence here. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. There's no uncertainty there. If God started something in you, he finishes it. We are notorious for leaving things undone, aren't we? We are notorious for starting things and not finishing them. But hear me this morning, God's not that way. He's not like us. If he starts something, he completes it. And we, those who are his, those who trust his son, those who believe in the son, we have this assurance that if God starts it, he's going to finish it. Romans 8, 28 Listen to Paul again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation just in case someone at Rome would say, well, Paul, what about this? He tags that on to say anything else will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a promise. Nothing can take us away from him. Nothing. Or Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for what purpose? For the day of redemption. God has given us the Spirit as a promise of the day of redemption. Or John 14, 1 through 4, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. That's a promise. If I go away, I will come again, and I will rescue you. 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a promise. Hebrews 13, 14, the writer of Hebrews says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. Or Revelation 21, 1 through 4. I could have just actually read all scripture to you this morning of the promises of God. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain, for those things are gone. Those are former things. They've passed away. Christ makes all things new. Great promises, glorious promises. And why do I say all this? Because during the time of Zechariah, God's people were in a time of waiting. They were in a time of waiting. They had just experienced 400 years of prophetic silence. And now the promises of old that God had said were being fulfilled before their very eyes. Think about that. 400 years of silence. And now God is speaking through Zechariah. I mean, we too, are we not in a period of waiting? We're waiting on the return of Christ, aren't we? While we wait, what do we do? We rest in the promises of God because of his past fulfillment of promises and that he does not change. As he was faithful to bring the Messiah, he will be faithful to make all things new in the Messiah's return. So we need to encourage one another with the promises of God. We need to be encouraged by the promises of God. I mean, you think about this. This could have been a time where Zechariah could have been very self-focused. He could have been absorbed with the fact that he was having a son. He could have been boasting about the reality of who his son was going to be. But that's not what we see, is it? See how this song is all about God. It's all about his redemption. The song is God-centered, God-focused. It's on its focus on how God saves us and that we don't save ourselves. It's something that God does for us. Which brings me to my second point. In verses 69 through 76, we see God's fulfillment of all his promises. God's fulfillment of his promises. Zechariah bursts forth in praise because of God's faithfulness to fulfill all his promises. He reaches back into the past to explain 
what God is doing in the present. He reaches back to explain what God is doing in the present. As God's promises by his prophets that he was accomplishing his plan. He focuses on three things in this song. He focuses in on the king of David, the king David, the promises that God gave to him, the promise that's given by Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 13, where he is told that he will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But well, we know David died. We know his sons died. What is he talking about? What is Nathan talking about? He understands. Zechariah understands through being filled with the Spirit. Here it is. It's Christ Jesus fulfills this. He fulfills this promise. Look at the metaphor he uses. He talks about this horn of salvation that's derived from an animal's horns, horns symbolizing strength and power. He's talking about a Savior who would come, who would be strong and mighty, and hear this, to save. He's mighty. He is strong to save. Coming through the house of David. Second, Zechariah mentions the prophets from old. He, he says in verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old. I mean, it's interesting to see here in the text what, what is, how he says this. He says, as he spoke by the mouth, not mouths of the holy prophets. What does he mean by this? Why does he say it that way? He is saying it that way because all the prophets were consistently saying the same thing. They were all mouthing the same message, that there was one to come who would bring salvation. And it, salvation would be in him alone. And Jeremiah spoke that way. Isaiah spoke that way. Ezekiel spoke that way. Nathan spoke that way. And then he pulls in. He mentions the covenant God made with Abraham in verses 72 through 73. And here Zechariah just simply mentions the covenant that God gave to Abraham, which is one of the oldest covenants and promises God had given, showing that God did not forget it. He didn't forget the promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, 2 through 3. Why? Because God fulfills his word. He fulfills his promises. And then we see in the life of Zach Zechariah mentions the fulfillment through his son John in verse 76. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. I mean, think about this. There had been no prophet for centuries before the people. The day of the Lord was about to come, but before that day, God would send his prophet. As I said a minute ago, 400 years had passed of silence, prophetic silence, and now God is speaking and showing that that forerunner that Malachi mentioned in chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 is now present to lead the way, to prepare the way. What was his message? What was he going to do? It was a message of repentance. It was a message of salvation from sins. And so in summary of this section, I just want to give you a couple of things to latch on to here. That these promises, these covenants that Zechariah gives God praise for, it shows us that God was moved by mercy in his promises to David, Abraham, and through 
the prophets. He was moved by mercy. He was motivated by mercy, as we're told in verse 70, um, 72, to show the mercy promised to our forefathers. It's mercy given. And second, God has linked the salvation of his people to his word. The salvation of his people is linked to his word. If God had not spoken, if God had not made these promises, hear me this morning, there's no hope. But because God has spoken and God has revealed himself and God has made promises and made covenants, we have all the hope. And we find in the last point, the culmination of all of God's promises find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The culmination of all of what God has said, find their fulfillment in Christ. Notice what he says in verse 78 and 79. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who, are in, who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah sings about the tender mercy of, of God. He, he rejoices in the fact that he visits us. He visits us. He visits those who are in darkness. He, he speaks of salvation in terms of light in contrast to the darkness. He's telling us that there's a new day dawning. It's a new day dawning. A, a light is falling on those who are in darkness. This light is Christ. He's coming on those who are in darkness. Why? To, to lighten their way to God's presence, to God's peace. You see, the Father sends His Son, His only begotten Son, into our darkness, into our suffering into our broken world. He became man in full so that he might save us in full. Oh, what a Savior. In 1886, Charles Spurgeon, and I would highly recommend you to read the sermon he preached on this text, it's called The Tender Mercy of God. And I just want to read a section of this to you. He says, But remember that he visited us not merely to look upon us and to talk with us and to teach us and to set us a high divine example, which, as I have said, were incomparably gracious if it were not further. But he so visited us that he went down into our condemnation that he might deliver us from it he was made a curse for us, as it is written, curse is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He took our debts upon him that he might pay them, minting his own heart to create the coinage. He gave himself for us, which is more than if I said uh, he gave his blood and his life. His own self he gave. So did he visit us, that he took away with him our ill. And listen to what he says and left all good behind. He did not come into our nature and yet keep himself reserved from all the consequences of our sin. 
nor come into our world and yet maintain a status superior to the usual residents of it. But he came to be a man among men and to bear all that train of woes which had fallen upon human nature through its departure from the ways of God. Surely he hath bore our griefs and carried our sorrows because the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Now listen to how he finishes. Our Lord so visited us as to become our surety and our ransom. This was a wonderful peace of tender mercy indeed. Amen? So Zechariah, filled with the Spirit, filled with joy over the salvation that was among him. That was your spiritual joy. Do you know the joy of being forgiven of your sins? Do you know the joy of salvation? Do you know the light of the Savior dawning on your own natural darkness? Do you know that? Jesus is the only way of salvation. As we hear in Acts 4, verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is God's plan. So through Christ we are forgiven. We receive mercy. We receive the peace with God. There is no other way. Are you filled with joy? And do you express that joy? I want to encourage you this morning. Give thanks to God today for the wonderful things that He has done. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this day to look to your word, to be, to be reminded that, Lord, what you have said, you will fulfill. Lord, as Paul said, all the promises of God are yes and an amen in your Son, Jesus Christ. All of them are yes. All of them are sure. And so, Father, we pray today, would you strengthen us as we await the returning of your Son. Help us, Lord, to cling to your word. Help us to cling to your promises. Help us, Lord, to have joy in our hearts and minds and lives. God, help us to express that joy by giving praise unto you and declaring your truth to others who do not know it. And so, Father, we pray, move in us today for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We stand to our feet as we sing this last song. I just want to encourage you, however God is moving in your life this morning, you respond. Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you don't know this salvation. We want to encourage you. We want to talk to you. We want to share with you about this.
sure promise. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling and you're doubting God's word. You're struggling with his word. I would humbly ask you, would you fall on your knees and cry out to God to empower you through his spirit to believe what he has said and to trust him, to cling to him and remind yourself over and over and over again of the promises God has given us. There's many that he's given us. And so however God is moving this morning in your life, you respond as we sing.
Praise the Lord for his tender mercy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God bless you. Go in peace. Thank you.